welcome to Podcast Sans Frontiers, a Metal Gear Solid audio experience. Here, we infiltrate the narrative, interrogate the characters, extract the themes, via Fulton, of course, and finally face down the technological behemoth that is the Metal Gear franchise. That nickname you love so much. Want to know how I got it? Actually, why don't I give you a demonstration? I think it's time for Jack to let her rip. I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. Hi, I'm Brian. Today's episode is A Soul Can't Be Cut, our fourth episode on Metal Gear Rising Revengeance from 2013. Today, we will face down most of the major bosses in this game, Monsoon, Sundowner, and most of all, Jetstream Sam. But first, our spoiler warning. Everything is declassified. We know who Sigint becomes. We know who Meryl marries. We know the fate of Master Kazuhira Miller. This is not a playthrough podcast. It's all on the table for discussion as we progress through the games. Isn't this all a bit much? Any disappearance after Mexico? Jetstream Sam. I have to chop the lab director in half. Old habits die hard, eh, Jack? But now, the child is so fighting for the children. <laughs> Please, what do you really expect? Uh, but you're a man on a mission, aren't you? Gonna fix everything. Just you and your little sword there. Solve everything with violence. Is that it? Halfway through Raiden's incursion into Denver, Jetstream Sam shows up on all the electronic screens and holograms in the city. As alluded to last time, in very Metal Gear fashion, this is where the game confronts you with your violence, both in this game and in Raiden's past, including, if you want, how lethally you played the Big Shell incident. This plays differently than similar scenes in the Solid series, say your chat with Liquid or fight with the Sorrow, but is every bit as effective in my opinion. First, Sam starts to poke at Raiden's mission. The former child soldier out to save children sounds noble as hell, accuses Sam. But have you thought about it any deeper? What, and more importantly, who are all these cyborgs you are cutting down across multiple continents? Not just killing, but literally eviscerating to the point that their humanity is not even recognizable. Raiden gives the same defense Battenson made in the recent Bat flick. They're adults, they made choices, so they deserve it. Or at least, their fate is above board. But Sam implores Raiden to think deeper, to think about the material conditions of the people signing up to be cyborgs and fight for PMCs. This is a play on the soldier-as-a-pitiable-figure theme, another Metal Gear staple taking root in this story. Sam implores Raiden to listen to his nanomachines as two cyborg officers show up to arrest Jack. While they are outwardly threatening Raiden, Jack hears their inner thoughts. They're terrified. They don't want to go into the blender that is fighting Raiden. Raiden hears them lament about their families, how they joined PMCs out of no other choice. They didn't really expect to be facing down cybernetic samurai. They just needed some money. All of this feels like a great continuation of the SOP narrative from MGS4. Raiden taps into the enemy's nanomachines, not unlike how Rat Patrol communicated with each other, but more importantly, it shows that the nanomachines don't prevent the scars of war, they just put a bandage on them. They are all there, under the surface, waiting to bubble up the minute the system fails. 
trying to think of what this reminded me of the first time I played it, because it was in 2000. I think I said this is the first one I played within a year of it being released, because this is when I had caught up with the series. Yeah, that's right. Was it Bioshock 2 it reminded me of? Just the idea of being able to, yeah, because you may be able to hear people's thoughts. Yeah, because Bioshock 2 is a game about how the little people, not, not actual little people, the you know, the the third the 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 workers and and all the people who built rapture were the ones who got most victimized by it and it's a that's a game about how those people were just kind of left to die and and you kind of have to wade through all that especially fucked up detritus from that so that's what it reminded me of a little bit and i I like that i like any game that can that can make you this is, this is the perfect MGR experience because it can make you feel earnest pity for someone and then be like, oh, cool, when a guy cuts them like in half from top to bottom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But also cool sword. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very cool swords around the board. It's it's the rare game that does, you know, the over-the-head meme. The, wow, cool robot. It does both of those at once. And that's partially what makes it great. Mm-hmm. Even going back to like the first Metal Gear Solid, the point of having soldiers yawn and falling asleep was for them to be human. But mm-hmm. you don't have non-lethal play in that game. You're still breaking their necks and you want to blow them up with your assault rifle. So um, I really like that it cuts that balance. And one thing I like in uh, Sam's little monologue is also how, um, you know, the violence, you know, you say you do it for people in the third world, you know, because of women oppressed by Afghanistan or the Taliban or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he's like... These people don't care about any of that. It's just a cover to just be violent. Yeah. Um, no one actually cares about people in the global south. Sam does. <laughs> yeah, Sa- yeah, Sam does. When Sam we- is from the global south, yeah. When we get to his actual character breakdown later this episode, we'll actually get into that a little bit. But I think that's what he's, especially confronting Raiden, who is pretty much, uh, he's not really born and bred American because of his whole Liberian you know, upbringing, but he is kind of a stand-in for coming up within the American system um, of indoctrination and under the Patriots kind of thing. The Patriots. The player takes control of Raiden again, clearing out the police, but all the while hearing the thoughts of the cyborgs he's killing. In the end, it takes its toll on Raiden's psych, as revealed in a chat with Blade Wolf, who also reveals he and Sam had worked together on three prior missions, which we discussed last time. This leads us into our next sequence, a sick stealth sequence. No, I don't mean like it's sick, Holmes, but rather that Raiden is literally ill from all that just transpired. The player is unable to run, and his attack and attack speed are limited. Raiden's team encourages him to avoid combat as he makes his way to World Marshal Headquarters. And it's there at World Marshal Headquarters that Raiden finds Sam and his next foe, another member of the Winds of Destruction, monsoon he leaps off the building his body disassembling in midair and reassembling upon landing raiden is still fucked up and much of the following cutscene takes place in the first person point of view not dissimilar to how liquid snake monologues the snake on top of rex at the end of metal gear solid one mm-hmm. you can look around a bit sam is off to the side as well here war is a cruel parent but an effective teacher its final lesson is carved deep in my psyche. That this world and all its people are diseased. Free will is a myth. Religion is a joke. It's controlled by something means the DNA of the soul. Monsoon becomes the first of several characters to express his love of memes in this game, to which Raiden offers one of my favorite rejoinders. How about you're full of shit? Is that a meme? 
Monsoon goes on about how memes shape culture and conflict, a nice continuation of the ideas behind Metal Gear Solid 2. And he, like Sam, continues to confront Raiden with his violence, but how he acts like his sword is a tool for justice just to absolve and ignore the actual harm he does. And this is where Raiden turns. He talks about his desires to leave the battlefield following the Guns of the Patriots incident, but here he is arguing philosophy with terrorists. He admits then that he enjoyed the killing. His facade was just that, something to keep the Ripper in check, but no more. Jack unleashes the killer within, killing some cyborgs and telling Doctor to turn off his pain inhibitors before beckoning Sam and Monsoon. Raiden's suit is glowing with this blood-like aura, and Monsoon sends Sam off. Before we get into Monsoon, do you want to say anything about this cutscene and these, this set of dialogue, Brian? It's probably the second most memed scene in the game after you know what the first one is. Uh, and yeah, it just, it's just everything about it. It's Doctor, turn off my cringe inhibitors, turn off my meme <laughs> inhibitors. Uh, so, I mean, just such a pretty meme, exquisite, is one of the three or four things you will see from this game if you've never played it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you've, especially if you were <laughs> on any social media site that has any sort of edge lords on it, so all social media sites from like 2015 to like 2020. They were everywhere. Yeah. As the person who was coming to this game for the first time for this, um, the only two things I had specifically seen were the end with Armstrong and then this. Yeah. Oh, and Raiden in a sombrero, but I didn't really know the context for that until I actually played the game. Adios, amigos. Uh, yeah, this is it's, it's a good scene, too. Monsoon, I like that Sundowner does it a little bit, too, later, but it's not as memorable. I enjoy that they... Uh, it's hard to paint these 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 guys as like super dangerous terrorists, or like you know, really like it's hard to it's hard to have a metal a classic Metal Gear mercenary group without one weird psycho. Yeah, you need one like freak in there, and that's that's Monsoon, a little, little, little what a little creep. This is a little shitty hair. Yeah, yeah, you you can't wait to kill this guy. Sundowner is for like different political reasons. Like he just. Is such a detestable person. Where Monsoon isn't necessarily like I don't know if anything he believes is bad. I just hate looking at him. I want him out of here, which is great. That's good character design. Diving into Monsoon, voiced by John Casher, who has a theme song called Stains of Time. Monsoon's name, like Mistral's, refers to a storm pattern or naming commonly used in the region this character is from. Monsoon hails from Cambodia, he's a Khmer, and monsoons are most typically associated with the South and Southeast Asia. 
His body is held together by electromagnetism, which allows him to disassemble his body for various long-range attacks and to avoid damage. This also allows him to lift heavy objects like APCs and helicopters, which he will hurl at you in battle. You never do see his face, though. He has a red and black look. His armor maybe looks like cyborg ninja armor, combined with how radicalized Cyclops looked in the 2010 X-Men comics. That's, yeah. He definitely looks like the most cyborg ninja of the, of the whole crew, I think. Yeah, I feel like everyone else has kind of various samurai designs to them. Mm. And then he is straight up ninja. Mistral kind of breaks that. She just kind of looks like a soldier. I think she's kind of like a beauty and the beast type. Mm. But I feel like uh, Sundowner and Sam are very much samurai builds. And Monsoon is a ninja more through and through, even down to his weapons. Monsoon was born in the 70s, grew up under the Khmer Rouge and the killing fields of 1975 through 1979, and would follow that up by working in local crime syndicates. He would get cybernetic enhancements after being wounded in a shootout, and then would go on to join Desperado Security. In 2016, Armstrong and Monsoon would go on to recruit Sam, who they brought into Denver, and which we discussed a little bit last time and we'll discuss a little bit more at the end of this episode. Did Monsoon appear in the uh, Sam DLC? I think so, yeah. It sounded like it was not a major part, but it did sound like he was there. The DLC, I think, is most it's just um, some sewers, and then it's the whole building that you go through to fight before we fight Sundowner. It's just like that. You go through that. Yeah, let me let me make sure. Yes, he did. Okay, cool. Yep. <laughs> Uh, getting into the battle itself, Monsoon uses size and smoke screens, and like we said, he's very ninja-like, as opposed to the samurai-style fights with Sam and Sundowner later. When he drops smoke, he'll rush you from random angles where you have to actually parry him to not get your ass kicked. As Brian told me as I was playing through this game the first time, this is where you actually have to learn to parry if you want to succeed in this game. Mm-hmm. He'll also lift and throw APCs and helicopters at you, like I mentioned earlier. And for these, you will have to go into blade mode to cut them into a million pieces and not take damage. And then when he grows purple, his electromagnetic shield makes him invulnerable to normal attacks. Um, I countered this by using electromagnetic grenades to break his shield. Essentially, it's like the shaft grenade of this game. And then that opens him up for attacks. But other than that, there's a couple like little set piece moments or little breaks in the action for a couple cutscenes, but that pretty much is the whole fight. It's simple fight. It's just cool. I don't know. It's the edgiest this game ever gets. I mean, Raiden is almost is almost this is definitely the point of this game I would not want someone to walk in on, but also it's cool. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. This is that's how it would work. Like you'd always have like you could be watching Cowboy Bebop and it would be like the two sex scenes in the show. Your your parents walk in on like God damn it. But th- those are the sacrifices we make being weebs. Yeah. We have to uh, open ourselves up for people walking in and seeing something really cringy or perverted. And it's just like, it's normal. I'm a wrestling fan, so that goes twice, actually. <laughs> After the monsoon battle, we are now in R04, working through World Marshal Headquarters building, which will eventually lead us to Sundowner, who actually greets Raiden via PA when he enters the building. Sundowner tells Raiden to go nuts, taunting him to cut his way to the top. We have a series of fights in the buildings preceding a running sequence. Along the way, there is a secret unlockable battle against a grad unit. 
usually these like kind of side rooms or battles that you can unlock usually either have extra items or like an extra VR mission that you can unlock. And that's the point of doing them. And also you can boost your score both in individual battles and for the overall chapter by completing more of these with, you know, a good performance. On the 20th floor, there's an electric panel puzzle where Raiden has to disable all panels to progress. This area is well patrolled, and you can combination stealth and melee your way to clear the area and destroy the panels. This is the first spot where you'll come across a hammer-wielding cyborg guy. It's a new type of heavy enemy, um, and basically they just have a giant hammer that they try to bonk you with. Bonk. After that, you can once again run past all the enemies and falling debris as you're basically making your way to the top until you eventually have another grad fight, this time a required one. Following that, you run up the building after jumping on some drones, you work your way through a Japanese garden map or two, and then you have a freight elevator sequence, which actually gave me kind of Metal Gear Solid 1 vibes mm -hmm. when you have that stealth camo. You're basically just on an elevator, and enemies keep dropping onto you, and you have to just fight them off. Eventually, you have to switch elevators, but um, pretty cool set piece. It's at least a little different than just running from room to room like we kind of have been previously. We then get to the entrance to the server room, and here is where you have kind of like a mini-boss fight, um, where you basically have to fight Minstrel and Monsoon again, um, but they're basically just mini-bosses, and they're not anywhere near as difficult as their actual boss encounters, though they generally do have most of their same maneuvers. Um, but there's also a ton of those little dwarf gecko around while you're doing this, so you can just refill your health like constantly as you're going. So um, it's never really that difficult. It's a cool area. I I like yeah, the elevator stuff is fun. I like the Japanese garden map a lot. It's just like different. It reminds me of a perfect dark map. I don't know. I like it. It's it's not as long as it seems. I think it's just recapping it. It it moves pretty fluidly. There's nice. They pace in and out of different things pretty well like I, I like the sequence yeah i think denver and it overall is the strongest part of the game not counting the actual last boss yeah i would say in terms of just maps and areas i think denver is the best and i think actually the building part is the most like kinetic of it all mm -hmm. um there's there's a couple puzzles there's a couple just ninja run through these sequences there's a couple battles but the battles are they're not easy, but they're also not frustratingly hard, um, especially if you've, you know, if you beat Mistral and Monsoon, beating them again isn't that big of a deal. You clearly kind of figured it out, uh, but it's just, it's a good, good area. The enemies are as varied as they get in any one set of maps in anywhere in this game. Uh, I think it's, it might be, you know, the best part, at least in terms of the non-boss battle, non-ending, non-cutscene stuff of the game. So all that gets us to the server room properly, where we are greeted by Sundowner. They're kids, you son of a bitch. And kids are cruel. All people are by nature. They just lose touch with it as they get older. Start thinking they know right and wrong. That's immoral. War crime this, code of conduct that. Kids, you can mold. Manipulated to performing all kinds of atrocities. And there's nothing like a good atrocity to keep a war going. That's why I'm shutting you down. <sighs> Sundowner, our Dick Cheney-ass villain for this chapter, has the main stage in the server room. Well, server room is generous. It's a room with the brains of children hooked up to cybernetics going through VR training. 
Solidus's VR training kernel for Raiden specifically, bypassing all need for field experience. The VR simulations go so far as to include killing prisoners of war and civilians that are reinforced with positive sensations. Once trained, they are outfitted with a full body for deployment. Child soldiers of yore like Raiden were products of war. The child soldiers of today are manufactured for it. Sundowner monologues a bit about all that and how the war economy didn't go away with the fall of the Patriots. It just changed for the times. What did we lose? What did we gain? Atacan laments at the end of Guns of the Patriots. A new generation of child soldiers is surely not what he had in mind. That very war economy is about to get a kick in the ass too, like the good old days after 9-11, alluding to some imminent attack within the next three hours. But that's enough out of the egghead. It's time for the Sundowner battle, which takes place up on the heliport above World Marshal Headquarters. So Sundowner, played by Crispin Freeman, who has the theme song, Red Sun. As mentioned a couple times now, he's a big, bulky, bald guy, not unlike Fat Man, and we've noted that he looks like Dick Cheney quite a bit, and Brian pointed out that it kind of feels like a lot of these uh, bosses or villains in this game are kind of based off of the War on Terror architects that we lived through post 9-11. He's got a squat samurai design. He's got six shields on arms that give him kind of a samurai plating look when it's uh, hovering above his shoulders. And then he also uses uh, what he calls bloodlust pincer blades, which he can combine into a shear. He also reminds me of a thick lobot, if you remember your Empire Strikes Back. Sundowner is a warm wind pattern in California, but Sundowner himself is from Alabama, and you can tell with his heavy southern accent. He is the American and the most bloodthirsty of the Winds of Destruction members, and probably of all the villains aside from Armstrong, and in that it's very appropriate that he is American. He's probably more bloodthirsty than Armstrong, like he just craves like combat as like a concept, whereas like I think Armstrong is is has a political motivation. It's a terrific one, but I would say Sundowner is more likely to just want to kill people just to kill people, I think. Yes, I agree with that. Armstrong has a bigger political play, like you said, power in mind. Yeah. It's not just how many people can I kill. Killing people is part of Armstrong's plan, but it isn't the end goal like it kind of is for Sundowner. Sundowner is the ultimate child of the war economy. He came from poverty, went into the military right away, from Desert Storm through the War on Terror, and then as a mercenary during the SOP years. 
Uh, he's been accused of several war crimes, uh, some of which were especially brutal. Um, and if you remember from our Blade Wolf episode, he is the one that reactivated Blade Wolf, hoping that they could use him for his and Armstrong's plan. The battle itself, like I mentioned, Sundowner has these shield panels, all of which are explosive. Uh, so to kind of deactivate them, you have to uh, basically go into blade mode and you have to slash in a specific way. Like the blade mode will line up these squares that are either vertical or horizontal, and you'll have to kind of angle your blade attacks to line up with that if you want to disable his explosive shields. If you don't, you'll get blown back and take damage. Um, the other thing you can do is obviously just kind of run away from him because he will charge you with those shields. Um, you can kind of run around him and try to get behind him that way. You can cut his shields too. Yeah, yeah, those are uh, cuttable uh, once you get a little deeper into the battle. There will also be helicopter uh, that are surrounding the helipad that will fire missiles at you. Um, you just kind of have to avoid those, so I think you can cut through them and sometimes get a health, like, nano paste if you need it, but um, didn't really find myself doing that. I just kind of avoided them and kept my focus on Sundowner. Oh, um, the size that you got from beating Monsoon, which are not a weapon I use very often, but I did use them here because if you do use them on uh, Sundowner, that they will briefly uh, stun him, and they can uh, attack his shield without triggering the explosion. Um, so it is kind of a little, yeah. I don't know, it feels very kind of almost Mega Man-y in a way, where the weapon you got from the last boss helps you beat the next boss kind of thing. The Platinum Games thing, they like doing that. Yeah. Kind of disappointing to me. I don't know. It's it's cool. Like, the setting is nice. I like his design for the most part. Um, like, all of the music is, is good boss music, but, like, it's a little disappointing. It's kind of one note. Like, once you figure out what you're doing, you just keep doing it. There's no... Second stage, there's no... I mean, Monsoon has only, like, the one gimmick, but they do a lot more with that gimmick, I guess. It's it's also, I think, just where it is, where it's placed in the game. It's a bit of a come down. Like, it takes you... You get a little time to unwind for the Monsoon fight. And then you kind of ramp all the way up to this big fight at the top of this building, and then it's just this fight, which is fine. It's not bad. And then... You don't even get time to ramp down from that because immediately after this you get into a much better fight. So it's it's really just not mm-hmm. it's not positioned well. And Sundowner I think is a little half baked as a character. Yeah, like I wish there was more. I don't know. I think him not being the the main villain is what really hurts him because he has a lot of main villain traits, but he ends up just being kind of unimportant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like Armstrong feels like a better version of him, mm-hmm. even though they're not exactly the same character. Um, but there's enough overlap where I feel just like Armstrong is the better realized version of kind of like that American exceptionalism and all that kind of personified. And I agree with you. I, of the Winds of Destruction members, it's not like the Mistral fight is like great, but it like fit perfectly right where it was in the game, um, kind of setting up more story for you. And then the Monsoon and Sam fights I really liked. Those were really fun to play through. Mm-hmm. This one was just kind of a slog. Um, I had an issue with um, the shields. I could always do the horizontal cuts to disable his shields, but my fingers were unable to do the vertical cuts properly, so I could never get past those. So um, it took me a little time to beat him, but ultimately it was not the most remarkable of the major boss fights in this game. Yeah. As you'd expect, once you have Sundowner's life down, you get a little set piece to finish him off. Sundowner falls off the building, but catches one of his hammerhead helicopters, which blows the helipad and sends Raiden plummeting. 
Jack jumps on one of the Raven wing mechs, avoids the debris, and flies up the elevator shaft of World Marshal Headquarters. From there, he slices through the wall, throws the mech at Sundowner's chopper, and then it's slice and dice time on Sundowner himself, finishing off the battle. Sundowner's dying phone call mentions Operation Takumsuke before saying it's up to Sam. Using what clues they have, they determine this attack is going to be on the president in Pakistan. Courtney mentions they can get their hands on a Mach 23 outside of Denver, the only vehicle that can get Raiden there in time. It takes 30 minutes for it to reach Pakistan. Raiden says to get in touch with Sola Space and Aeronautics, which we'll get to in the next episode. Either way, Raiden's journey to Salas' campus is cut short by a pair of drones following Doctor's chopper. Cut being the operant term, of course, as Raiden takes to the air and hacks one drone and uses it on the other before hopping back to the chopper. Well, kinda. The handrail breaks, and he falls back down to the Denver streets. That essentially takes us into R05 and our escape from Denver, a pretty brief yet gameplay-heavy chapter. Essentially, the player just works through several maps, littered with cyborgs, geckos, raptors, and eventually a grad and some mastiffs. There is a secret room right at the end with some bonuses, but also an ambush by three mastiffs, which kind of fucked me my first time through. I ended up using a ton of my health nano paste and didn't have enough for the upcoming boss battle, so I replayed this part of the game and skipped this extra room having already looted it. And not as a criticism or anything, but this is the game reusing some earlier maps when you infiltrated the city. That too is a Metal Gear staple in its own way, so just wanted to mention it. I don't really care for these maps. I already, I almost forgot about them just when I mentioned how you go right into the Sam fight after the Sunrider fight, but it really doesn't, it's not, it's not much. There's not much to do with it really. It's, it's barely even a chapter. Yeah, it's there to pad out the gameplay, it really feels like. They could have literally dropped you, and Sam could have just been waiting for you where you fell. And you, yeah. I mean, they wanted the setting and all that stuff, but yeah. in terms of the actual experience of playing the game, it's a it's a big kind of who care segment. Mm-hmm. And nothing happens in it, like, in terms of plot or story or anything. It just get to the, you know, marker on your map kind of thing. At the end of the maps, Raiden commandeers a motorcycle, which he doesn't realize is actually Sam's. He carves a message into the concrete, though. I need your bike. Thank you for your service. With that, he's off to Solus, but on his way, he's greeted by Wolf and Jetstream Sam standing in the road. Ah, fancy meeting you here. You knew I'd come. I suppose I should thank you for not killing everyone at the launch site. (laughs) Well, not if you say it like that. For a hired killer. You're not very good at your job. The war is the big payoff. Right, big raises all around once World Marshal gets all those contracts. I'm not talking about money, Jack. I'm talking ideals. Excuse me? (sighs) Forget it. We've both heard enough speeches about higher causes by now. History will decide who's right. End of story. We are now in R06, Badlands Showdown. Sam getting his own chapter because he's so damn cool. Wolf couldn't determine what Sam's endgame was, which leaves them with no other choice but to fight. 
Wolf doesn't like this outcome, having affection for both combatants, but he's asked not to interfere, and being the good dog that he is, he complies. It's now time for Jack and Sam to face off, a classic samurai showdown here in the desert. It has a Kurosawa vibe and a twinge of tragedy, the setting sun really painting a beautiful backdrop for the boss battle, which now let's do our Jetstream Sam breakdown. Stream Sam, played by Philip Anthony Rodriguez, and his theme song is called The Only Thing I Know For Real. From a design standpoint, he's basically in cybernetic armor like Raiden himself, but he has a scar over his left eye. It's the same eye that Raiden is missing on his own body, and he also uh, wears a classic samurai top knot. But I think the important thing about Sam is the fact that other than his right arm, the rest of his body is real and not some kind of cybernetic replacement or enhancement. Sam is Japanese-Brazilian and descended from a long line of swordsmen. His father ran a Brazilian Kenjutsu dojo, teaching the Setsu Jinken, or murdering sword technique. Speaking of, his father was murdered. Sam inherited his Murasama sword. And then Sam avenged his father, but I'm not sure whether he saved his mother or killed Fjolnir. He became a mercenary and assassin, modified his father's sword with tech to enhance his power, and now has an ID lock and can glow red. Getting into some of the stuff in the Sam DLC, which we briefly touched upon with Blade Wolf, um, Sam wanted to go to Denver to kill Senator Armstrong, but this was all a ploy for World Marshal to actually recruit Sam into their plan. Um, He'd fight Blade Wolf uh, during this, and they would form a bond at this point, which we see a little bit in this scene. He runs into Monsoon. Well, that answers that question. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Fights a Metal Gear Ray and eventually gets to Armstrong. They face off, close battle. He loses his right arm, and then Sam concedes. But, Brian, you're the one who played it. Is there anything else you want to add about the Sam DLC here? No, it's basically it. It's fun to play as him, but it's it's more like a series of challenge maps with some... Then the the Armstrong fight is really disappointing because it really it's just like a reskinned like they didn't change anything it's the same kind of fight as you'd have in this game it's just you don't win this one it's it's not very good I don't know it's better than the 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 Wolf DLC is like ten minutes so I didn't pay for either one I'm not mad but it, they're not exactly uh, necessary yeah I think that all basically just come with the game now especially if you were streaming it yeah but uh, again this. This feels like DLC that exists just to give more game to play, um, as opposed to something where it's like an epilogue to the story or giving you like other key beats or something like that. 
Mm-hmm. So the battle itself is a big open flat area. There are a couple of rocks and boulders and cans, um, some of which may reveal health items, but otherwise it's just a big open space on the side of the road. Sam himself has a various flurries of attacks, almost all with the sword, though at 60% health, you can cut away his sword, and he will not pick it up for a while till you get his health down to 45% or so, but he will continue fighting you uh, hand-to-hand during this time, and I actually found it easier to fight him when he had his sword than when he didn't. It's a trick. He judo throws the shit out of you when you don't have a sword, or he does have a sword. It's really kind of frustrating. Yeah, that and like his shoulder charges or whatever it does. And mm-hmm. after like the first five times I died with him, I'm just like, I'm just not going to cut off his sword. At least I can kind of parry these or uh, time the attacks well enough. So, note to anyone who's listening who hasn't played, uh, you don't have to cut away his sword hand. Like I said, he has various charge attacks and not just charge attacks, but repeat charge attacks where he'll fly into you, knock you down. But before you can even really get up, he's getting ready to charge you again. So this is where it's best to parry so you can not get just like steamrolled by him. One way that you can easily kill him or at least get his life down is that if you do a well-timed parry on some of his blade attacks, the damage you inflict on him uh, can be massive and you can get you know, 20 to 30% chunks off his life with a well-timed parry in this uh, battle. It's great. I don't know. I, I think it's my second. It's second best boss fight in the game. It's cool. It's a little more of a skill check than even the Monsoon one, but that's fine. That's how you want to design your games to be. I just like it. I like Sam. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a really good fight. I feel like I like, I like it. Yeah, it's, um, like you said, it's a skill check because this is essentially the last boss minus, you know, a Metal Gear. Mm-hmm. Well, you need to be ready for Metal Gear and Armstrong in the end. Um, so the difficulty here, I feel, is just right. I, I wouldn't say this was like frustratingly hard, but it took me a while to beat Sam, mm-hmm. especially because I was cutting away his sword um, and then he would just go to town on me. Um, and I only had like two health things, so it's not like I had a lot of reserves, but um, it was a difficult fight, but not one where I'm like getting mad and want to throw my controller. It's just like, yeah, this is a well-designed fight given where I am in the game, which I assumed was coming close to an end at this point. Also, I think it's just like, like I'm a simp for like, samurai and western shit and mm-hmm. this one is just like the the background's great and it just kind of has that kind of presence like you know any showdown in like seven samurai would make you feel i think it just kind of has all the right vibes and that really makes this uh this fight really stand out the fight ends with raiden plunging his sword into sam's midsection realizing that sam really wasn't all that much cyborg he was more man than machine that leaves a bad taste in raiden's mouth He takes Sam's sword too, though the ID lock prevents it from being used in its strongest mode. They only have an hour to get to Pakistan though, so there's no time to mourn. It's on to Solus. Clouds become the sand. 
that's mission complete for this episode. Our frequency is podcastsoundsfrontiers at gmail.com and at podsoundsfront on Twitter and Instagram. You can support Podcast Sounds Frontiers and all my other projects at patreon.com slash manuclearbomb, which manuclearbomb, hey, that's me, I've been Manu. You can find me covering The Lord of the Rings over at My Brother, My Captain, My Podcast. I'm still Brian, and America is still diseased, rotten to the core. Yes, it is. Shout out to our sound editor, Stephen Boyd, a.k.a. DJ Empirical. Please remember to like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast application. So until next time, remember, the war still rages within. Looking down on the burgeoning sea The skyscrapers rise Even men with the greatest intentions Stop believing their own lies We can borrow from the future